How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. All right, welcome back to How People Work. This is one co-host, Jordan Peace. Across from me is your co-host, Jason Murray. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're back for episode, I don't even know anymore, 17? 17, 18. 17, 18. Somewhere in we're, that. We're getting up there. Ballpark. Yeah, about to graduate. About to graduate, exactly. <laughs> um, thanks for listening today. Uh, so so we've, we've walked you through some Harvard Business Review articles. We've walked you through some studies that Jason, as I like to say, has nerded out on, shared with me, and then we've discussed and then shared with you. Um, but today we're actually going to discuss some of our own research, our own uh, survey and data and some data analysis that we've done internally here at Fringe. Um, and Jason led this project, and so I'd love to kick it to him and have him explain why we did this in the first place and who we surveyed and why, and then we'll get into what we gleaned and, and, and what we're doing about it. Yeah, well, and shout out to Kip Hart, who works here at Fringe and has collaborated with me, and he's on the people team at Fringe technically, but uh, sort of freelances around a little bit oh, yeah. in uh, a lot of ways and is super valuable and a great every, contributor. Every team try, trying to get a piece of Everyone's yeah. trying to get a piece of Kip, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, well, I guess a little bit of the backstory there is my role within Fringe uh, changed at the beginning of this year, near the beginning of this year, yep. where I'd previously been building out the growth function, which was sales and marketing and so on and so forth. And that was really my role for the better part of, you know, three or four years yeah. here at Fringe. And one of the things that we felt was really imperative to our success as a company was, hey, we've got to continue iterating on what we're building yeah. for our audience in the marketplace. Right. And um, yeah, because we're designing something to meet the needs of people and the needs yeah. of people are changing and evolving over time as new generations and new themes socially. Yeah. So it just makes sense. We and have to you know what Fringe was at the beginning, that's still a very core part of what we are. But I think our as we've become more knowledgeable about the space, just from being in the space, I think we've developed uh, a deeper point of view around what's needed you know in this yeah. arena as it relates to you know employee experience and what hr teams are trying to do and what is even the purpose of hr mm. and some of those kinds of things yep. and so um, as i was moving into this new role i felt like well i've got a lot of opinions on stuff but let's try and ground ourselves in you know reality and let's maybe try and validate some of those opinions and um, really dig in. And so what we put together was, um, you know, a survey with a third party. So we tried to do this as scientifically as possible and got um, over 500 different HR respondents that participated in this survey that we did, uh, where we gave them a series of 10 different questions to, you know, sort of self-assess everything yeah. from kind of their own perception of their role, metrics that are critical, their engagement with executives and leadership within their organization, mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, needs of the business versus needs of the employees, so on and so forth. And then we paired that with uh, a couple dozen interviews that we did of uh, actual HR leaders. And so all, almost all of those were people who work at or for companies that are not customers of Fringe. And right. so we tried to do this as objectively as possible right. and not just get people who are already like huge fans yeah. of what we do Yes, uh, or knew what Fringe was to begin with. Right. We talked to a lot of folks that uh, didn't have any idea what Fringe was mm. or, uh, you know, maybe had a little bit, but, you know, weren't customers of Fringe. And um, we're able to glean some really useful uh, insights and information. Yeah, it's from cool. That. I mean, the last time we approached the market like this was before we started the company. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even as extensive as this because we didn't have the time nor the money, right, to, to do this true. level of research at the time. But I feel like that's the last time that we took a really like, super objective, scientific, let other people fully speak and not try to influence kind of point of view. And right. so it's it's super interesting just to see the difference between 2018 and now and yeah. what people are thinking about. Yeah. So it's it was great. I mean, I you know me and I love doing that kind of stuff because yeah, I get course. to nerd out on there all of is. that. There it yes. is. It really it really satiates a, a part of your heart. Then it does. Yeah, thing. that's great. I'm going to work that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I'm just going to get it in early from yeah. now. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the last one, you just slipped it in right at the oh, end. There. Man. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think the way to start with this one, it might seem a little bit trivial or to our audience, like, oh yeah, duh. Like everyone talks about this, but I think we've got some nuance here that we'll unpack. So the question I want to start with is really just what's been the traditional role of HR team. So I think there's people listening that are in HR roles themselves, right. and then there's people listening who are just people leaders, Yeah, maybe not from a, an HR specific right. function. And so I think it's helpful to just level set on sort of the historical context here a little bit. And I know um, you've got some perspective on that as well. I'm trying to think of what show I was watching the other day where this, this popped up. Oh, it's this goofy show on um, Apple TV, I think it is, around a tech company that has created a video game. Uh -huh. And it's like a World of Warcraft type of thing. Okay. I, the name, Mythic Quest is okay. the name of the show and the game. And there's an HR person in the show. But people treat her like like she's a counselor of some kind. And so they come in, they <laughs> lay on the couch, and they're just like, yeah. It's been a really tough week. So and so did this and said the other thing, whatever. And, the, and then the next person like walks in the door and like, oh, I'm sorry, are you in a session? I'll come back later. Uh -huh. and, like just <laughs> and, and, and and so 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 she calls a meeting and she's like, all right, we're here to all understand what my job is because clearly none of you do. Uh -huh. And it, I just cracked up because it was just Not so a therapist. Yeah, we, we've just we've had to we've gotten to I should say commiserate with and hear from so many HR leaders over the years yeah. of just, here's what my job is, here's what it was stated to be, here's what it turned into, and I'm right. doing these 47 things that were not in the job description, and then these are all the assumptions that people think my job is, and those are all incorrect. Wildly inaccurate. Wildly inaccurate. Yeah. Um, the office probably didn't help with any of this no, either. Toby, no, Toby. Was, poor Toby. Yeah, that's the person we chose to represent the profession on the <laughs> office. That, that was not a good move. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know. I don't want to upset anyone, but ironically, there 
there's always truth in something that's funny mm-hmm. or a kernel of truth in a something that's truth. funny. Yeah, it's got to be. Otherwise, it's not funny. Right. And so I think what the kernel of truth was, well, it was largely conventionally a very right. administrative and compliance related role. Yeah. And so right. that was kind of the knock that Michael always had on Toby was right. he was spoiling all the fun. Yes. Um, but that has traditionally been the role of yeah. HR in a lot of companies and, and a valuable role. I'd say one that I probably underappreciated until Fringe grew to a size that some of those things became necessary. And then we had somebody come in, right. Cassandra, who yeah. you all probably heard on the previous episodes that we've had. Um yeah. And put in place some things that we yes. needed around Thank compliance goodness. and legal things yeah. and stuff. It's yeah. probably the proper term, right? Legal, legal things. things. Yeah, I think stuff. that's it. That's, yeah. And stuff. Yeah. yeah okay. You can't forget the stuff. Uh, but no, like, no, it is. I mean, it's that that is a truth of the job. And, and I think that that is what gets the attention. It's essentially, you know, you, I think you had too many generations of leaders that saw this role as, hey, your job is to make sure we don't get sued. Right. And to make sure people don't get hurt. And if they do get hurt, that everyone knows that it's not our fault. And, you know, whatever, like pay people, do these things. And they're they're vital aspects of a company. And a company does not run without it. Right. right. But I even heard as recently as this week, somebody describe HR as a pure cost center. Mm. And I was just like, do you still believe that? Yeah. It's just you really still believe way. that this is just a cost center? Right. Like just because they they administrate the payroll in some cases, like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that is not the case. You understand? And I could go, I could just like preach on this, you yeah. know. But like, let's do it. I, I think people just don't understand how much impact there is to someone that's very carefully crafting the experience of what it's like to be an employee at any given company. Yeah, they just don't get it. Yeah, that you're going to attract way better people that are four, five, six, seven, eight times more effective than the than the more average folks, right? You're gonna attract people that are really bought in. They're gonna stay longer. They're gonna recruit their friends. They're gonna evangelize your company to everybody that they know so they become clients and customers and users, et cetera. It, it's huge. And then you create an environment, we've talked about yeah. this, an environment where people can thrive and they can be happy should they so choose to be happy, yep. <laughs> right? Because that's not the responsibility of the employer fully. Um, you know, the, it. everyone gets to experience those eight, nine, 10 hours a day, whatever it is that they work, because of the experience set up by HR folks. Yep. You know, and sure, executive leadership has something to do with that. Everybody has a responsibility to create culture and maintain culture, but the tone is set by the people that, are sort of the the guardians of the mission, the vision, the values, the who do we recruit, who do we keep, how do we pay them and compensate them and benefit them and yeah. what do we bring in, you know, to sort of add to and enhance the experience. That is so important. And it's still, I, I like I said, it's just too many generations of people thinking one thing that it's just taking ages for people to understand the difference. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think, man, that goes back to one of our first episodes where we talked about native analogs and native digitals Ah, and that whole paradigm. And I think one of the things that you've got going on is, I mean, somebody who would say such a thing, I would put almost all of my money (laughs) on betting that they are a native analog. Yep. As we, yep. This as person, we, this yeah. person definitely was. Right. And yes. so, I mean, there's just a way that yeah. they see the world that is, uh, 
fundamentally different yeah. than how right. a new generation is coming in and yeah. perceives the world. And I think, you know, we could probably say that we believe there is actually a right way yeah. in some of this to yeah. see it. And that was actually something that came out of the research that we did. So we're, we're going to jump around through all this and you guys, you know, listening, don't necessarily have the report fully read out. We right haven't in front published of you. this thing. We haven't published it. So this is just like all fresh here. We need to publish this. Uh, but one of the, you know, subheadings that I've got in here is that companies either get it or they don't. Mm. And that was kind of a clear takeaway is like, uh, you know, I've always had some sense, maybe overly optimistic that, you know, you can try and pull companies along or mm. you can try and convince people that there's a better way to go about it. And I think what I've seen both in my own experience and what we've done with Fringe and then in surveying and talking to all of these people leaders is right. that there's just companies that get it, yep. what you were just talking mm -hmm. about, or they don't, Yeah. period. And so- To, if, to use a very um, Southern colloquialism, you can put lipstick on a pig, <laughs> but it's yes. still a pig. <laughs> yeah, you've told me other ones too that are like, I mean, I feel like people might know that one, but yeah. there was one recently you brought up that was about like tomato farmers <laughs> and like the field and like something. I was like, man, that one's like really man, obscure. That yeah. is out there. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I wish I could recall it. I'm not from the South. Sometimes so. they just have to come to me in the moment. Yeah. Otherwise they, they do. I'm I don't always know surprised. they're a part of yeah. my kind of nomenclature or vernacular until it Very comes deep out. Rooted. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot about that phrase. Uh, but you know what I, you know what I mean? Yes. Right. Like you, we have, and we've done this, we've convinced companies, you know, like we've just strong armed them for lack of a better yep. expression to do what we think is right. Right. And it flopped. Yep. Because they didn't actually believe it. Yeah. They didn't actually get it, you know, to use your word, you know, and it's, that's, that's that lipstick. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we found, and I think this makes a ton of sense, but it's worth stating because obviously there's a lot of companies out there that don't get it mm -hmm. um, still that, and if the CEO and executives at an organization value culture, that's going to grease the skids for so many of the initiatives that HR ultimately needs to help. Yeah. And so at companies where culture is not a priority, conversely, there can be just a, a significant tension right. surrounding you know, how programs get rolled out, how people data is yeah. used, even how you think about ROI or I should say how people data is even misused. And so I heard about th this was so shocking to me. And one of the interviews that we did, um, a woman who was previously uh, a head of benefits at a large manufacturing company with about 4,000 employees. I was I'm not worried you were going to say the name I'm for not a second. Say I'm the like, name. stop, Jason. <laughs> we're not going to name names. No. <laughs> um, but th this was so wild. So it was known from their data that a particular warehouse was the culprit of some bad turnover mm. and bad in engagement data from surveys that they yeah. had done and you know it, retention rates and so forth. Uh, and when they looked at it in isolation, so when they actually segmented the data as as you should, right? You know, if you're really trying to get to the sure. root of what a problem is and what's going on, uh, it was clear that there was a need to address matters at the level of that warehouse, right? But then what this HR leader told me is that when presentations to the executive team were done, that they only shared averages that smoothed the data and it hid the real problem because people on the HR team knew that executives wouldn't be receptive to that data or they would errantly 
blame people on the HR team wow. for what was going on. Jeez. And so that's what's going on inside of companies is that, you know, that was obviously a company that doesn't get it. Right. And so therefore people are in their jobs, yeah. they're trying to protect themselves, right? right? They don't wanna share bad news because yeah. bad news might reflect back on them. Right. Or there's executives that, you know, are not gonna understand mm -hmm. or, you know, or not accept. Even care to understand or yeah, seek or, to understand. Or, or I would say in that case, like, you know, this is probably just a, a truth, you know, universally about leadership is like, well, the person to blame is the leader, Yes. right? If you got a problem, like you got to own that. And That's so right. maybe you didn't directly contribute right. to why somebody left that particular warehouse, right. but it's your responsibility as a leader and executive of that to company move towards it. to move towards it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, so this, I mean, this topic too, I think is, is an interesting one about coming because I think there's uh, just a really sort of philosophical like bottom line kind of thing that's mm. you know winnows companies out um, and I know something that you've talked about a lot uh, in the past is you know well we'll see in five to ten years you know the companies that get it are the ones that are going to be around that's right um, and actually something that I think is really fascinating in that regard and that we may have talked about this before is uh, the average length of time that a Fortune 500 company remains in the Fortune 500. We did. I've forgotten the stat. Do you recall? Yeah, yeah. No, I really don't. But yeah. it's stunning to me. 20 years. 20 years. So the companies that are enduring are the ones that we remember. Right. But then the whole rest of it, it's just a revolving door. Yeah. Right. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, building an enduring company one is just really difficult right. to begin with. There's a whole yeah. lot of things that go on in the world yeah. that just make it hard to build a company and sustain it over a long period of time. Right. You get good at one thing and the world doesn't need yeah. that thing anymore and you yeah. just become irrelevant. Uh, but yeah. I think one of the most difficult things is when I think about it, I'm like, well, yeah, you could sustain a company over 20 years by brute force. Yeah, right. Could. I mean, we're four years, four and a half years yeah, into fringe now. Yeah. So you're like, you think about that and you're like, well, we're 25% of the way into 20 years. Right. And could you imagine, you know, kind of forcing it for like another 10 or 15 possibly? I, I mean, mean, I could, we could. It wouldn't be enjoyable. It'd be miserable, right? but yeah, I, because could, of, I could imagine how that would be done. Yeah, yeah. you could do yeah. it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that speaks to the fact though that, you know, companies, uh, how companies approach their business strategy, the treatment of people mm. within their organization, that's gonna flow out of a philosophical point of view. Yeah. What do you believe about people? Right. And is it yeah. important to do things and treat them in some way as a stakeholder within the organization or are they just resource? Well, I mean, let's be honest, that's why we're doing this podcast. Right. Like you, you kind of summed up our secret motivation for doing this podcast in the first place is that we're trying to help people leaders understand what and who people are, right? Yeah. That they're not actually just resources. They're actually very, very, very complex creatures mm -hmm. that have to be grown in specific ways, encouraged in specific ways, a certain environment like we talked about plants in the last episode that you just it's just water and light, you know? It's like that you have to create a very complicated greenhouse to grow people. 
Right. It is not it is not easy. And so the more you understand about what people are and what they're like and how they think, what makes them tick and why they get out of bed in the morning and why they might stay at a company or come to a company, et cetera, et cetera, the the better you can do. And the more you can the more you can go from, yeah, I think I get it. Like I care about people, you know, to a place of like I care about people and I'm really knowledgeable about how to lead them. Yeah, you know, so I, I just—it's just funny. I hear you say that, and I'm like, well, "Yeah, that's why we're sitting here." Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. and you know, you know that I don't like, you know, binary kind of paradigms, and yeah. so I think there's this sense that well, those things are inherently at odds, and that—that's sort of the conventional thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm going to invest in people, but it means that I'm sinking money into something that ultimately doesn't drive mm. a sort of exponentially bigger pie, if you will. And I think that's just a a ridiculous sort of presupposition. And and that goes to that philosophical point of view, right? It's like, do we believe we're playing a zero-sum game Mm -hmm. where there's limited resources and we're just trying to carve them all up like as shrewdly as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, amongst this sort of ever-increasing pool like employees and shareholders Mm -hmm. and investors and you know, our customers and like all this stuff. Yeah. And we just got to like be as strategic yeah. as possible. Just build a spreadsheet. Right. Yeah. Um, or as we've said before, is there a path forward, uh, one in which human flourishing is the convergence mm-hmm. of the unique needs that individuals have, right. employees within your organization to live satisfying and fulfilling lives and the business to yeah. grow and accomplish its mission in the world. And I think yeah. we've been continuously- Which in turn, you know, almost regardless of what the mission is of a particular company, it probably exists to serve the human race in some capacity. Right. So it's not just the employees and the investors and the executives, but it it is the customers, it is, or the users, to use a tech word. You know, it's, it's, it's everybody around and inside that company that flourishes yeah. if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's hard. I mean, it's probably worth, it's probably worth maybe playing like the devil's advocate a little bit here. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll kind of put the question to you is like, (laughs) when companies get big, Mm. don't bad things start to happen? So if you think about larger companies, that's where a lot of the negative press tends to be. And it might be because they're more public Mm-hmm. Right. It's more obvious. Mm-hmm. But I would say it sort of is an operating principle. Yeah. Like the larger things get, the more likely there is to be corruption, a mm-hmm. dehumanizing aspect to it. Right. It's like it's harder to manage things yeah. when they get bigger. I think the bad things get worse. Yeah. Right. So like from day one, bad things happen. Right. Like you remember there there's five founders in our company. Yeah, that's true. We're having conflict on the first day. Right. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that needed to happen with you and I had it's conflict. Reconciliation. Is, is we sit down and personally reconcile through that. Yeah. And then we get back to work like that yeah. is a five minute fix. Right. And but but it's everything's so transparent and obvious mm. right but things get there's there's layers and layers of uh kind of shields and privacy and you know partition walls and so forth where you don't see what's going on and i might not know what's happening with your team and you don't know what's happening with her team and you know and so conflict builds up or somebody makes a decision that's 
little bit in a gray space and then it gets a little bit less gray until all of a sudden it's just completely unethical, you know, and but where's the checks and balances? Who's seeing that, et cetera? So I just feel like there there's a relational breakdown as organizations get bigger. And yeah. so because there's not that same sense of accountability or in our case, even friendship, there's not a lot of opportunity for these things to come to light before they get big and ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's just it's just too late. Yeah, I've been listening to this audio book called Sapiens, and it's interesting. I mean, I think that there's it's it's probably not one of the best like books that I've listened to or read recently. Mm -hmm. um, but they bring up some interesting points in this, and one of them is uh, how human culture and society evolved. And one of the points that they bring up that I've I've heard before is uh, sort of the human capacity for. Uh, structured relationship hmm. if you will and so yeah. obviously you know we lived in very tribal kind of groups like yeah. a long time ago and those tribes you know eventually grew into cities and town cities cultures right yeah you know, that became you know more monolithic in right. nature um but what a lot of psychologists or sociologists have found is that uh the human capacity for relationship really doesn't extend beyond about 100 people 200 at most I right mean, our generation feels that don't we right right because in our childhood that's all there was right i mean 100 people maybe because the network that you knew the names of or whatever yeah. your network was the people geographically located with you they rode the school bus with you right yeah. they were in your class maybe even not the entire school but just the folks that were in your classes yep maybe you belong to some civic organization or place of worship or something like that and so there was a group there yep and then that's it. Yep. That's it. And you weren't responsible for knowing and a couple of neighbors and you weren't responsible for knowing anybody else. Yeah. You, you didn't think to Well, and you really couldn't, else. right? Yeah. Because we didn't have internet. Yeah, you couldn't anyway. Yeah. There wasn't the internet. Right. You weren't connected with There's people no across the world, right? Yeah. There wasn't even a way to know what was going on, you know, across the world or yeah. even across the town without right. like really putting in some effort yeah. to find out. And right. so, you know, our networks have, sort of become looser and yeah. less connected and there's all sorts of implications for that but i think uh what's interesting is you know if our if our capacity to maintain kind of a healthy structure of communal relationships yeah. is kind of capped at say 100 or at most 200 mm -hmm. people individuals yeah. right. Like, what do you do when you've got a company that's a thousand people? I'll tell you what or you do. Or two thousand. You redefine relationship. So let's say you go from a hundred to a thousand. Then you have to give one tenth of the empathy, one tenth of the time, one tenth of the care. Well, that's what happens. Right? That's what yeah. happens. Right. Because you don't have a choice. You don't know what I mean. I remember yeah. interviewing back when this podcast was called Bragworthy Culture. I interviewed a woman, I believe her name was Mariah Steiner, I'll have to go back and check on that. Um, but she was a sociologist and she, I brought up a theory that I'd had for yep. a long time around empathy and the fact that I actually stopped watching the news because I feel like there's so much that I need to be empathetic for in my family, my extended family, my friend group, and now the company that I didn't have empathy left to hear about a shooting or a right. fire or someone that drowned or whatever was happening right. on the news i'm like i don't i can't even feel it well we're literally not conditioned to be able to right right and so she it was interesting because she called that empathy fatigue 
Mm. She said, that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing empathy fatigue. Yeah. And there's just, and she didn't describe it in this hundred person way, but she described it as you have a capacity for empathy for others and it, there's just a limit to it. Yeah. It's not an unlimited resource. And the minute you get to a place where, you know, that fatigue gets bad enough, you just stop feeling it altogether. Yeah. You know, even for the people that you ought to be feeling it. For, right. Right. Because you're just tired. Yeah. It, you know, and, and I was like, that is so fascinating. And you feel that in, in, a, in a big organization, you know, where I, I was just talking about this today with somebody that in a small group, like there's 15 people in an organization, somebody quits. We didn't actually have anybody quit until we were like 40 some people, which was kind of cool. But at 15 people, somebody quits, it's like, I mean, it's like the next day is like a funeral. Right. You know, it's like, just oh, like, they're gone. Like, what? Remember? What are we going to do? Remember, Jill? <laughs> Sorry, we actually have somebody named Jill that still works here. I should use a different name. But, <laughs> you know, remember Jack, you know? <laughs> we have a Jack, too. Jack, gone it. We have such stereotypical names. Um, you know, but like you're reminiscing about it, you're telling stories. And, but in a thousand person organization, yeah. somebody leaves or gets fired or whatever. Yeah, and there ten might be and ten jills. There and, might be five seconds around the water cooler, proverbially, that you would be like, "Oh yeah, I worked on a project with that guy. Well, he was cool." Well, anyways, anyway, how was your weekend? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and then there's no mention of this person for the the rest of the company's right. existence. Yeah. You know, and it's something that's natural about that. It's sad. Yeah. But natural, given the capacity that we lack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you know maybe what kind of tying it back into this idea of like companies get it or they don't. Yeah. I, I think for you and I, it's often easy to think of it in our context, which is a smaller company. And yeah. so like the, you know, span of control, I guess you'd say is is a little bit easier in some respects, although there's lots of stuff that's difficult still, even with a company the size that ours is. And I'd say as the company gets bigger, that's where your managers become mm. so much more important. And I think that's, that's true for us. And so I'm not suggesting that, uh, the folks that manage people outside of us aren't equally as important, but when you, right. you know, blow that out to a company that's 10,000 employees, like if a company with 10,000 employees talks about culture, it's kind of like, what are you talking about? You don't have a culture. Right. You have cultures, yes. many cultures. Yeah, hundreds probably. Right. Yeah. Probably limited as many as to you have managers. A hundred employees at most right. in these kind of pockets yeah. or teams or the man right, exactly. Yeah. And so I think it becomes all the more important than ask the question like, how do we transmit the things that are most important into these cultures that are gonna look different, right? Because it, it's not like you want to see. Now squash you're talking about that. what HR's job should be. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and there's tons more to talk about here, but like, yeah, yeah it was a fantastic segue on your part. Like that, that's which we really have time Just in time to, to wrap segue. up. Just this in time episode, to wrap up right? the episode. But we'll <laughs> we'll continue next week with this. But yeah, that's the whole point right there. Yeah. Is there are in a large organization that HR function is all the more important because it's so much more complicated to try to figure out how to take values right. and distill them amongst a dozen or a hundred or 500 yeah. cultures, which are probably as many managers as you have as another yep. culture. And that's a different job and that's than a, what it's been conventionally. It's a totally different job. It's not and totally. a job that could be completely time-consuming and could, could dominate 80, 90% of a, a team's I'm not a person, obviously, at that level, you have a team, but like mm -hmm. 
it that probably should take up the majority of the time for mm-hmm. HR people and those defensive tasks, paying the bills, getting people onboarded, offboarded, et cetera, et cetera. Those things should be much more technology oriented, much more yeah. using tools and software to accomplish, right? right? Because tools and software don't have the EQ to solve the problem that we're talking about, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about the the rest of this, which I'm realizing now is going to be about six episodes. Probably so. Yeah, it's the rest of the season. <laughs> it's the rest of the season, but that's okay. This is uh, this is our bread and butter. Um, so Jason, tell us about. Uh, obviously, they know about next week because we're going to talk about this. We're going to keep going with this yep. idea of kind of first what what the HR role has evolved into. We're going to talk about some of the greatest challenges the HR folks, the respondents, the 500 respondents plus that we have say that they face. Um, Some of which was like, duh. And some of which was like, oh, really? Like, okay. Um, Was even surprising to us. And we're steeped in this full time and have been for nearly five years. Um, So excited to talk about this more. But Jason, team me up for my word of the day, if you even have one. I do. uh, You do. Of course you do. Word of the day for the next episode is, you'll like this one, yips. Yes. Maybe instead of saying yips, I'll just struggle to speak for a while. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll just represent yips. So and I'll then be you'll the be host like, and you'll just ah, be yes, there. Yes, I'll be the fool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be the, I'll be the jester. Um, well, great, great. Yips should not be too difficult if I remember to do it. Uh, th- again, thank you for listening. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Would love your feedback. Would love any suggestions that you have on topics after we go through this 27-episode series on this survey that we just did um, and we'll need something to talk about on the back end of that Uh, but again thanks for listening we'll catch you next week uh, on how people work